And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Almendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Liam Gallagher, Senior Pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Dr. Gallagher, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's always a joy to fellowship this way. Our listeners hear you regularly on the air. Um, You have a program called No Falling Word, and uh, so I think they're familiar with you, and we have done a couple of uh, interviews before. I thought maybe today we could talk about the coming of the Lord. Um, This is the season of Advent, and uh, we talk about his first coming. Certainly the second coming is in view as well. So um, maybe you could get us started in talking about this very important event. Yeah, the, the, the older churches, the ancient churches, really start the Christian year with Advent. So beginning of December is, is a Christian New Year, and it begins with, uh, with Advent, which looks backwards and forwards, as you know. Um, the word simply means coming, and we look backwards to the, the first coming of the Savior, and we look forward to the second coming of the Savior. He, he came, as the writer to the Hebrews put it, so he came to deal with sin the first time. And when he comes a second time, it will be without sin to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And it's, that's a great perspective. It puts the whole of uh, our history, our human history, in, in perspective. It puts the story of the church in perspective as well. Uh, and I think it, I think it's something which annually is a good reminder to the people of God of where we've come from and where we're going. Um, I I get quite excited at Christmas. I have to say, I think um, Protestants have not always done Christmas well. Puritans were a bit nervous about it. Uh, but the reformers weren't quite so nervous, and uh, and, uh, and I think that where we are today, more and more people recognize that pausing to remember the significance of the first coming <clears throat> is probably something we should do. I wonder if we think about I wonder whether in our churches we think about it theologically enough. We we remember the. I think we are good at telling the story. We're good at the narrative side. We're good at drawing the lessons from the narrative. I think we're quite good at preaching the gospel in the sense that the one who came came to die, and the the disciples, uh, the the shepherds, the wise men, found their way to Jesus, and we can find our way to Jesus too by God's grace. But we we really need to think about it further back when the New Testament writers are talking about the Incarnation, they go back to Psalms like the one where the pre-incarnate Son says to the Father, a body you have prepared for me. Um, And the writer of the Hebrews picks that up and he says what the Son, when he was coming into the world, said, a body you have prepared for me. And when we come to the, the the Christmas record, it's interesting to see the Trinity working uh, as one, working uh, together. I mean, in Matthew, for example, we find the angel of the Lord coming 
to announce to Joseph. We have the Holy Spirit doing the miracle in Mary's womb. And we have the baby itself, Emmanuel, God with us. And we see the Trinity acting inseparably together because God in his fullness is is active in the work of bringing the Son into the world. Though it's the Son who comes and takes our humanity, he he cannot ever act on on his own apart from the Father and the Spirit because God is one. And so... In in the in the coming of Christ, we see the Godhead, the Trinity at work for us and for our salvation. And I think that that is an amazing thought. Really, kind of lifts the lid off of of what is happening to that little baby. I think it was in one of C.S. Lewis's books that he said, or he has one of his characters say that once in our world there was a little baby who was bigger than all the worlds. Mm. And the idea of the eternal Son who is God and therefore who is Spirit acting in that human form and uniting himself to that human form and doing all of his works and saying all of his words in that human form and raising that human form to glory so that we can say today that we have a man in heaven. Uh, that, that is one of the greatest high points I, to me of, of the, the Advent story. Mm. I like you reminding us of the fact that he came to deal with sin. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful starting point. Um, do you ever find that some Christians, uh, despite the fact that Jesus came to deal with our sins and that they've repented of their sins, they, they still feel overly guilty? They still say, well, I don't know if I should take communion or not, or whatever. Do you ever find that the case in, in terms of uh, church life? Absolutely, and I think the uh, I think we must be constantly bringing ourselves and if we're preachers, bringing our people back to the gospel that the Lord Jesus came to deal with sin, so that we can move on from there and begin to become conformed into His image, accepting, knowing the fact that my sins, not in part but the whole, are nailed to His cross, and I. Bear them no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. That reality that he has carried them away, like the scapegoat taking the sins of the people out into the desert, he has carried away my sins. Uh, I think that that, we need to say that over and over to ourselves. My sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sins, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to his cross. That's that's a great part of the gospel. Mm, amen. And the sacraments. I mean, the the bread and wine are for sinners. They're they're not for sinners to abstain from. They are actually medicine for sinners. <laughs> and uh, so, while we have to examine our hearts and see if there's something there that we need to confess, we've got to then come. The the apostle does not say, 
examine your hearts and if you find something wrong, don't come, he says. <laughs> examine your hearts and then eat and drink. Amen. These, these are the tokens of the gospel. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, the Trinity, um, so important, and yet um, it's, um, in a way, it's foreign. I, I don't know of anything else in the natural world uh, they've tried to make analogies, but it it seems to be it's it's a very unique. I don't even want to call it a thing, <laughs> a, a, a relationship, a, a person. It it's it's the triune God. It's it's beyond our wildest imaginations. It seems. I think that we've got to. I, th- I think we've got to remember that one of the things which the the Bible establishes on day one right in Genesis 1, and continually brings us back to over and over again, is that there is an absolute distinction between God and all of created reality. And that although God made man in his image, God is nothing like us. We may be a bit like him. He is nothing like us. (laughs) And you're quite right to say, is he a thing? Is he a person? I mean... We we think we when we think about God, God is God, and all that's in God is God, and there is no category, there is nothing in created reality that we can point to that that gives us any help in understanding who God is, which is why God took on human flesh so that we could see at least in the humanity of Jesus what God is like. When he's playing the man, yeah. Jesus doesn't show us all there is. I mean, we could only God understands God, but we can comprehend God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm. because he became man, so that we could get to know him as a man. So when the Bible says we will see God, we need to know there is nothing to see, because God's invisible. What will we see? We will see the man Christ Jesus. <laughs> we'll see God with skin on. Yeah. Another interesting thought is um, that this person of Jesus, as he lives among us, um, sometimes it's surprising how he acts. You know, there may be a a woman caught in adultery and how he treats her or how he um, how he loves those who are of a class that you shouldn't love. So says <laughs> the, the the wisdom of the day. Um, this Jesus, and and yet he uh, he's not just meek and mild. He'll 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 turn over the money changers' tables in the temple. Uh, this is a very unusual man. Yeah, and full of the Holy Spirit. He's acting as a man. Yeah, full of the Holy Spirit. He, you know, and we we need to remind, remember the full humanity of Christ. He is one hundred percent man, and therefore human, and yet he's full of the Holy Spirit without measure. And here's what a spirit-filled man looks like. Here's what the Son of God in humanity looks like, and he surprises us, although he shouldn't surprise us, because when God introduced Himself to Moses, he he says, among other things, that he's the one that that pardons sins, although he doesn't ignore sins, he pardons sins, and he shows mercy and steadfast love. And, 
And we see that in action. What, what does that look like in God? Well, we see what it looks like in the God-man, in the man Christ Jesus. Mm. And if Jesus was sinless, and if Jesus is God the Son, and with skin on, I want to look at how he treated people and see that if I'm becoming more like Jesus, that's the way I should be treating people as well. Yeah, so true. So true. Um, you started off initially talking about the ancient church and how they would uh, start their Christian year with Advent, how significant that was. And I, I think um, um, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Um, there seems to be so many churches. You've heard the complaint before. <laughs> so so many uh, different um, varieties and whatnot. Um, have you thought about that? I'm sure you have, but what's your perspective on on all the churches and denominations and all of that? I think, yeah, it's interesting that one of the things that has been the constant and the unifying factor in, uh, in throughout his, Christian history is that very, very early on, the first thing that the church did before it divided up was that it clarified its position on who God is and who Jesus is. So by by the late 300s, that had all been agreed, decided, confessed uh, by the church on who God is and who Jesus is. And I think that's where we begin. We begin with that unity that's, yes. that we go back to there. Um, because I think that's perhaps where Jesus' prayer for our unity finds its fulfillment in that the church has confessed the triune God uh, from the beginning. And we're united on, on Jesus and on who God is. Um, now, there are, as time passes, all institutions, all human institutions, are corrupted by sin because they are inhabited by sinners. The face of the church is the face of a sinner, Martin Luther said. Mm. And, and it doesn't matter what, how well we start. As time passes, the institutions decay because there is this inherent element of sin that leads to decay built into the fabric of the church. And I think that the multiple denominations are one evidence of that. I think sometimes denominational differences reflect the differences of temperament uh, between people. Uh, and and genuine differences of doctrine. I, I actually don't think it's a bad thing because I think when the denominations were growing up, at least people were concerned about the truth and they had a firm view of what the truth was and and they held on to that dearly and and a lot of the denominations reflect a period where people took the Bible seriously, tried to understand it for themselves, and uh, formed opinions about certain things, which we may today think are secondary, and maybe they are, maybe they're not. Uh, um, but we, we can be united on 
the person of Christ. And I think in our various denominations on their distinctives, especially with regard to the grace of God in the gospel and so on. Um, and Jesus prophesied that there would be false teachers, yeah. false teaching men. I mean, you go to the book of Acts, when, whenever eldership is created in the book of Acts, the specific reason for the creation of eldership within the churches was the false doctrine, and the elders were meant to protect the church from false doctrine. Yeah. That was their primary thing. So, I, I guess it's evidence of a fallen world, evidence of the fact that in this age, there's a there's a, a transition point where, when Jesus comes, the demons uh, infest people and and uh, possess them and so on. But as you go, th- as, as the New Testament goes on, it becomes apparent that once Jesus has come, Satan's tactic, the demons' tactic, is to deceive and to introduce false teaching and false doctrine. That is the primary means by which Satan and the demons operate mm. in this age, in this church age. And um, and the history of the church has demonstrated that. Mm. Very, very helpful. Um, you're mentioning briefly about Moses, and um, today we're talking with Dr. Liam Gallagher, um, Senior Pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, um, can you help us in the last uh, few minutes remaining better appreciate um, the continuity uh, from Old to New uh, Testament and how that uh, from the very beginning um, Messiah is prophesied and, and then we see fulfillment? Yeah, it's a story with a one plot line. We need the New Testament to tell us what the plot line was about. It's like we get you get in the New Testament you get you get the kind of punchline, and we we realize that the Old Testament is a story waiting for its conclusion. We're we're moving. There are these hints. You go to Genesis three, the the, the, the offspring, the singular male offspring of the woman, will crush the serpent. Uh, by the end of Genesis. This one is going to have a worldwide impact. It's going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Judah. You you go a little later on, it's refined down. He's going to be of David's line, who's of the tribe of Judah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be a priest. He's going to be a king. Uh, he's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, the, the, the storyline is building a composite picture of someone and it's in the New Testament suddenly all of this comes together here's a prophet greater than Moses here, here is a priest who will offer the final sacrifice of himself actually for our sins and here's the king uh, and in the language of many of the Old Testament prophets where they're looking for God himself to turn up with the coming of Jesus, God Himself turns up, and uh, and so the whole the whole of the Bible is a storyline unfolding to its conclusion in Christ. 
and all the loose ends of the Bible are tied up in him. <laughs> That's a beautiful storyline and, and a wonderful thing to know this Jesus personally. And um, maybe you could talk about also, uh, um, what about that young man who's out there and has been thinking about the ministry? Maybe he's struggling uh, with the call of God. Um, what are some pointers you may have for that person as he uh, works through this and, and tries to figure out if this is where he belongs? I think a number of things. One, I would ask the question, you say you want to, you want to serve God, you're thinking of the ministry. Is there anything else, anything else that you would rather do? Because if there is anything else that you would rather do, you should do that. Uh, I think the ministry requires you to be absolutely convinced that there is nothing else in the world worth doing than this thing. Because once you enter the ministry, all hell's let loose, and from one quarter of another, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to be slandered, criticized. You're going to be under the microscope. You're going to be assaulted. You're going to, you know, this is a, for the long term, you have to know at the beginning. Yes. Absolutely nothing else you would do with your life than this. This one thing I do. Um, And number two, you need to know the other, you need to know whether other people think the same about you, whether they see the gifts and whether they're encouraging of the gifts that you have. And then once you've kind of clarified that, I think you can then start to push doors in terms of training and experience and so on and see whether God doesn't open doors for you to pursue a life calling. That's that's very helpful indeed. Um, As um, you work through Advent at uh, 10th Presbyterian Church, um, what's going on there? Is um, special celebrations, music, whatever? What's what's happening? Yeah, well, we have two twenty third, twenty fourth in the evening. We have two great Christmas uh, concerts slash lessons and carols, candlelight service, uh, and those are always packed, full, uh, and there's a gospel a short gospel presentation and very high-level music, wonderful. They're just wonderful occasions, and you have to come early to get a seat. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's at 7 o'clock on the 23rd and the 24th. And then our regular Advent services, in which we've been looking at a number of the the prequels to the Advent in the Old Testament, um, Genesis 3.15, the, the offspring of the woman, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, Wisdom, Wisdom, the Son of God, uh, who was possessed from, by God from the, before God even began creation from all eternity. Uh, he was the object of the Father's love and affection. And then he sets his love on the sons of men with a view to coming and helping them. Um, that's what we're doing this Sunday. So those are some of the things that are going on. Oh, it's beautiful. 
Uh, while you were talking, I went to your website. It's found at tenth.org. Real simple, tenth.org. And when you get there, you see this beautiful picture of the inside of the church, but it's from a perspective you don't usually get to see, and it's from your perspective, just a little bit behind you as you're preaching there, and you can see the congregants all assembled uh, in front of you and also up in the balcony. It's just a just a beautiful picture. And so um, your services are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Uh, that's your regular Lord's Day services. And you just cher- shared about the lessons and carols on the 23rd and 24th at 7 o'clock p.m. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. And any final words regarding Christmas uh, before we leave you today? Yeah, I think my final words would be that as we reflect on Christ's first coming, it's a good reminder to be looking forward to when the skies are torn open and the angels sound their trumpets and the dead in Christ are raised and we are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Mm. We're with the Lord forever for that that Christmas banquet to be all Christmas banquets, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're going, and we need to keep that in front of our gaze with the world collapsing. Christ is coming. Amen. Amen. Today our guest has been Dr. Liam Gallagher, Senior Pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. Dr. Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.